Greetings, colleagues and members of the ATA Chinese Language Division. Welcome to another episode of our fantastic CLD podcast. As you all know, we are gearing up for the big event of our association, the 63rd Annual Conference in Los Angeles. That is from October 12th to the 16th of this year. Every year, our division invites the best and the brightest professional in the TNI area as our distinguished guest speaker to give a rather extensive and in-depth talk about certain topics that are of utmost interest to our members. This year, our distinguished guest speaker is Mr. Joe Saline. Joe Saline is an engineer manager at Spotify, which I am sure a lot of you are very familiar with. It is one of the largest music streaming service providers, offering recorded music and podcasts in over 180 countries. And that is where Joe comes in. At Spotify, Joe focuses on the internationalization and localization of the audio platform, so people from these 180 plus countries are able to enjoy the service it offers. Before Joe began working on the technology side of things, he taught courses on early Chinese philosophy, intellectual history, language, and culture for the Department of East Asian Languages and Religious Studies at Stanford University, his alma mater, where he received his Master's of Arts degree in Chinese while pursuing a PhD in early Chinese philosophy. Joe is an expert and a big fan, if I may say, in the classical Chinese language and has translated and edited several early Chinese texts, including Lun Yu, Han Feizi, Zhuangzi, Laozi, Dao De Jing. If I may call Joe's talk at our conference the main dish, what we have today would be the appetizer by Joe himself. We want to tease your interest just a little bit, not too much, just enough to get you ready for the main talk that Joe is going to give on software internationalization and localization. So hello, Joe, and welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Wow, what a fascinating background you have. On one hand, you are an enthusiastic and, if I may say, a lifelong student of classical Chinese, early Chinese philosophies and thoughts, something that have been around for thousands of years. And on the other hand, you dedicate yourself to the work and the technological concepts that are so new um, that I can barely pronounce it. I mean, really, like I had to practice saying internationalization a few times before today so I could get it right. How rare of a combination. But, you know, I, I'm really interested and curious to know how did you go from studying and translating classical Chinese to being an engineer at a very large tech company? Uh, that is a very long story, actually. I'll try to be as brief as I can. Basically, when I was at Stanford teaching and pursuing my PhD, there were a lot of faculty members and fellow students and colleagues who needed to publish papers with Chinese characters in them or French diacritics or something like that. And this was very early on in the development of internationalization and localization. So it was before Unicode, not a lot of people knew how to deal with all the different fonts and encodings and things like that. So I actually paid 
part of my way through school by working as what they called an expert technical partner for the Division of Languages, Cultures, and Literatures at Stanford. And that's where I first became interested in how the two fields of language and technology intersect. Later, when I decided to not finish my PhD and to uh, go into the technology sector, I actually just sat down and I read a lot of books, a lot, a lot of books, and uh, first began programming in PHP, then moved into JavaScript, some Java, and of course, HTML and CSS, and I became kind of a, a specialist developer in this particular strange area of the tech uh, community, where those of us who love language and love technology work. So you are self-taught, uh, if I may say, nerd. <laughs> yes, I am. I, I, I'm I'm a classical Chinese nerd and a technology nerd, so okay. I'm a double nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of a brave new world in that if you want to learn anything in the technology space, the resources exist out there to do so. And as far as the actual internationalization and localization work, a lot of that was learned on the job. When I took my first localization engineering job at a small company called Omniture in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, mm -hmm. uh, I had no idea that localization was even a field. I didn't know it was a thing. Right. And as I've talked to others in the field, that's the a common experience. Many of us kind of fall into it. And then once we get into it, we love it. Right. And I, I, that's actually one of my other questions. Just in the language service area, translation and interpretation have been around for, for a long time and people are very familiar with it. And it's rather you know, self-explanatory when you tell people that, oh, I work in translation or interpretation, they know what you do. But for this um, uh, internationalization or localization, that's a fairly new concept. It's only been around for, I would say, a decade or two, even that. Um, so in the simplest term, and without giving away your talk, of course, what is localization and, and internationalization? Okay, um, so localization is the process of adapting a product or service, in my case, software to a particular local market, which involves making sure it is accessible in the correct language, that it follows the formatting conventions of the region in which the market is located, and that it provides a high quality engaging experience for the user. One of the things you need to do in order to be able to localize a piece of software is you need to prepare it. And that's where internationalization comes in. Internationalization is the process of preparing the software so that it is capable of being adapted uh, for different markets, regions, and languages. Ideally, what you want to end up with is something where you have a single application that is built in the way that it can adapt to each user's linguistic preferences and cultural background. And that's what we're trying to do with the new internationalization team at Spotify is really uh, build that capacity and expand that capacity in, in uh, Spotify's platform. Right. Yeah. And then my next question would be, how would you answer the question if an old timer translator comes to you and say, well, what is the relevance of localization and internationalization to my work as a translator? And how would I fit into that whole process? 
I don't want to give too much away because that's the main subject of my talk uh, at, at ATA this year. But in general, internationalization through localization have a, a large dependency on translation as a skill. Mm. And, and so when you're localizing an application, you're, part of what you're doing is translating the text, the application text, UI labels, system messages, uh, communications, marketing content, all that into different languages. And that's where the translators come in. And one of the things I want to do in the talk at ATA is really provide some tips for translators on how they can work well with internationalization and localization, because it's a very growing field. Yes. And, and there are a lot of opportunities for translation work there. Oh, great, great. I very much look forward to your talk. Um, I, I know that a lot of translators have been doing this work when it was still paper dictionary time. And now we have Google Translate, we have machine translation, we have these memories and technologies are just revamping itself. So I think it's really helpful to get on the wagon, if you will, and then just to understand what the general trend is and then not be left behind. So I think this talk is coming in a very good time to create that awareness in a lot of us who are still a bit foreign to the whole concept of technology and translation. It's partly self-serving because as an internationalizer, as a localizer, uh, we need translators to know how to adjust to some of the quirks of software translation, if you will. Right. And so one of the main focuses of the talk will be on what those quirks are and how translators can uh, deal with them the best. Fantastic. So now let's shift gear a little bit to your Chinese background. What got you interested in early Chinese philosophy and thought? Like, how did you become interested in it? It's actually very strange because when I was about 12 years old, I tried to teach myself Chinese mm. just with a book from the library. And as anyone can tell you, that's impossible. Um, so then it was sort of like in the back of my mind the whole time I was growing up. And when I went to university, there is a language requirement to get your bachelor's degree. And I thought, well, this is the perfect chance to resume that interest. And so I started taking Chinese and I really just fell in love. And I fell in love with the language. I fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with the ideas. And as when originally, when I was starting out in the area, my interest was primarily in the language. I loved the way it worked, the way it was symbolic and very syntactically place, mm -hmm. uh, based, I mean. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I began studying more about how the language worked, that's when it got, I started reading more of the classical texts. And reading those texts, I really got interested in them and decided to switch over and make that my specialization. Very cool. If you have to choose, what is the most significant ancient Chinese wisdom or teaching to you? And do you apply it in your career? Um, it, I, I do apply it in my career. It's kind of more uh, a more general idea, I guess, that is, comes from the Lunyu or the Analects. And this is the idea that you shouldn't worry about whether or not you have an official position or a good post of a, a meaning in your life or something like that. Instead, 
you should worry about what it is that makes you capable of being appointed to one. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't worry that other people don't know who you are. You should focus on making yourself worth knowing. And so that's that's something I apply generally in my life in that I think, you know, it's kind of that if it's to be, it's up to me mentality where um, there are aspects of your career and your life that are just accidental and faded, but you have to be prepared to take advantage or to deal with those uh, changes in your life as they come along. I like that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's great. Now, one last question. It's a bit of a trivia question. Um, okay. I found out that um, Spotify's Chinese name is Sheng Tian, Sheng Yin the Sheng, Tian Di the Tian, which means sound field or field of sound. How, how did this name uh, come to existence? Did you have anything to do with the translation of that? Or is it a product of translation? Or is it just simply named or transcreated? That was actually before my time that the Chinese name for Spotify was developed. However, I do know that a lot of times in Western companies that are expanding into East Asian cultures, rather than simply try to transliterate it, they try to somewhat transliterate it and somewhat make it something that has significance and meaning in the target language. And I think that's the case here. It's... It's kind of a strange word if you think about it in, in Chinese, but um, we all, we also rely heavily on in-market um, uh, offices and and creative and editorial teams to produce that kind of content. So for us, it's not simply translating from English into Chinese. It's really about developing local value for the Chinese market. Mm, and I imagine that is something the localization team has to focus on as well. It's not right. just the simple conversion of language from one to another, but really it has to apply the meaning within the cultural context. So the local users will get a very holistic experience when using a software or the service. Exactly. The translation model actually has some issues when it comes to software internationalization and localization, and there is some movement to move toward a more language-neutral um, idea, something like an ontology or a concept map. You, you may see knowledge graphs if you search on Google, and then those translations are kind of based around that knowledge graph. So rather than being a, from one to another, it's from like a central conception or a domain knowledge thing into multiple languages. Right. Well, we don't want to give too much away, of course. Right. And I really appreciate, Joe, for the time you spent with us and giving us that preview. And I look forward to meeting you in person in October in Los Angeles. Looking forward to it, too. <laughs>